Right, hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba, arve, it's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 206 on Sunday, the 7th of November 2021, I'm Armish Phil, and tonight I've got Tarrant Firestride, aka the Mad Hatter joining me, how are you doing Tarrant? I'm well thanks, glad to be here man, how are you? Absolutely wonderful, my two co-hosts bailed on me. Uh, one one like two days ago and one about three minutes before we started to record. Well, they heard you were on with the Hatter and they didn't want any part of it. No, so. don't take it personally. One of them is, is <laughs> his wife's away, um, so he's looking after the kids. And uh, Armish Benz has got a new puppy. So um, oh. he's, uh, he's stuck on puppy duties tonight. But, um, but I, don't, I don't envy... Uh, the puppy, the kid. I'll take the kids, man. But the the, the puppy's a it's a tough it's a tough night at the office. No, I've never had a, all our well, our two dogs have been rescue dogs, so they've luckily both been house trained and uh, and good to go. Because uh, I mean, especially young kids knocking about, I couldn't be dealing with the uh, the potty training for well, right. the doggy potty training, house training. It's absolute chaos. It's absolute <laughs> chaos. Anyway, I mean, uh, it's nice to meet you. Thanks for joining me tonight. And, uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's um, you're well into sort of comparative religion, alchemy, hermeticism. Um, I mean, to the average bloke on the street, this is quite an unusual sort of area of research or pastime, how, however you would describe it. I mean, what was, what was your sort of uh, introduction to this sort of stuff? How did you get into it in the first place? Well, uh, it started pretty early. Um, I, I had organized religion shoved down my throat pretty hard, uh, as a, as a child, I had Mormonism on one side and Christianity on the other side. And so around, uh, around my stepdad, I was supposed to be Mormon around mom's family. I was supposed to be Christian. And so that was very, very confusing as far as, uh, self-identity, you know, as a, as a kid. And there was a lot of trauma that took place in my childhood, um, and so I left home really early and kind of put uh, all things religion and spiritual in the same box as the the abuse that I went through as a kid and kind of just ran from all of it. Um, and I, I, I always knew that there was something, you know, bigger than me. And I, I, uh, I had this victim mentality, like I got dealt a bad hand and um uh, was, was just upset and angry and resentful all the time. And so on my, you know, perpetual search for what is bigger than me, I, I stumbled upon, uh, alchemy and hermeticism and this crystals kind of opened the door to all this. I was taught that crystals were really taboo as a child and that, that, uh, that was not something that, uh, was of the light, you know, I was taught that it was really bad, um, 
And so learning about crystals and vibrations and, you know, frequency kind of opened a lot of doors for me. I realized, well, I was taught that this was terrible and this isn't bad, you know, so what else is there? And um, so I just started searching and then finding uh, the hermetic teachings and finding alchemy is kind of what led me to, um, to hermeticism. I realized that I could transmute these things. You know, uh, I'm a big believer that, uh, negative energy, once it, you absorb this negative energy, it's there. There is no such thing as, as releasing it, but you can transmute it, right? You can use that, uh, and, and, and change this lead that the world gives you or that this experience gives you and turn it into something favorable. And, uh, this was an intriguing idea to me, this, this, uh, transmutation, mm. um, which is, so I was going to say, it's, it's this sort of idea that energy can't be created or destroyed it can just be transformed or transmuted is that what the sort of idea exactly just changed um and and so um it was hermeticism was a way for me to kind of empower myself and take control of my life because uh one thing that it teaches uh is that you are either a master of your experience or you are a victim of somebody else's experience right and uh so i was in this victim mentality, this vibration of victimhood and everything was because of somebody else. And I, you know, I, my life was this way because I got dealt a bad hand. Um, and so I was kind of just along for the ride and getting beat up by this experience. You know, I used to say things like, Oh, well, bad stuff just happens to me all the time, or I have the worst luck. Um, and bad stuff did happen to me all the time. I mean, my life was just this ball of chaos that snowballed into, um, I was a daily drinker since about 12. God. Um, when I put it down three years ago, I was doing about a half gallon a day. I mean, I was just a walking, uh, just a, a ball of garbage, really, for a lack of a better way to, to describe what my experience was. Like, I had two thoughts when I woke up every morning, and that was, shoot, I woke up. That was thought number one. And then thought number two was how am I going to afford to drink today? Because if I don't get liquor, I'm going to get sick and that's not how I want to go out. Right. And, um, so it was, it was tough and I had to, I had tried to quit drinking a lot of times before that. And it it was really stupid. What would scare me was like the fact that I was never going to be able to toast on new year's, you know, or at at a wedding when they pass around uh, a, a toast or whatever, like, they were going to stop and put water in my cup and everybody was going to see that, right. That I was just going to be, I was that guy for the rest of my life. And it scared me. And what made the, the big difference the last time I quit was like, I don't need to worry about new year's Eve, 10 years down the road. Right. That's not what's important in my experience right now. What's important in my experience right now is that if I don't start taking better care of myself, I'm going to die. Right. And, um, so, kind of taking control of my experience started with me getting away from the crutches that I had carried around for my whole life. And alchemy was critical in that. I, I realized that I couldn't change my childhood and I couldn't change who my parents were and I couldn't change who I was for the first almost 30 years of my life. Right. But I could use those things to, propel myself into a more favorable future. And so that's where alchemy came in. And as I call this place, earth school, this experience is, I I refer to it as earth school. And all you get at earth school is lead. 
That's all this place gives you. Um, and so it's our job, uh, the, the initiate or the alchemist, to transmute these things into a favorable experience. And um, I'm a very matter of fact, uh, I have to be able to replicate something for me to uh, not necessarily believe in it, but for me to practice it, I have to be able to, to do something with my own hands. And um, there's, there's seven principles of hermeticism. It's very simple, right? And they're very, very simple principles, but uh, they're, they're giant, you know? And one cool thing about alchemy is nothing is absolute. So you read something and you read it one way and that same statement can be read 40 different ways and mean 40 different things. Everything is a metaphor. Everything is an allegory and there's always another layer. Right. Um, and so people talk about alchemy a lot and there's lots of different types of alchemy. You, you have uh, metallurgy, right. Which is the act of physically taking lead and changing that into gold is what all the ancient alchemists wrote about. This is the prima materia or the, the emerald tablets was this, the prima materia was this uh, mystical substance or, or uh, some people think that it was just this, this gnosis that people had that gave these people the ability to transmute this, this, unfavorable metal into literal gold right and if we could take lead and turn it into gold that'd be a pretty cool be a pretty cool deal um, what's the name of that the prima prima materia right now would this be similar some to what some people would call ether or astral light is it are we talking about the same thing here this is how i see it Right. Is that there is this, and it, I mean, nobody really knows. I think that anybody that talks in absolutes about stuff like this is either lying to you or lying to themselves. Yeah. Um, that we can have an intuitive sense of, of knowing for ourselves, but I think that it's unfair to represent it that way to, um, to other people that, and, and that's one cool thing about hermeticism is that it, one of the principles states that all truths are but half truths. Everything is subjective. Um, and that's something that's huge to me. You know, you read the allegory of the cave and these people were all seeing the same thing, but it was very different truths to them, you know, and none of them were lying per se, right. They were just, their truth was different. And, um, so when you read these old alchemical texts is talking about metal, but you can, that metal can be whatever you need it to be to improve your experience. That metal can be your emotions or that metal can be, uh, the way that you walk through your life, that metal can be, I've alchemized my, my occupation, you know? Um, <laughs> and I had a really hard time staying motivated and I, I love what I do, but it's hard. And I sound like a child when I say this, but it's hard to get up and do the same thing every day. Right. And stay happy. It's even if you love what you do, like I would rather be out, uh, in the woods connecting with, uh, with nature or with the divine, right. Then, then at work using my back or using, you know, but me alchemizing that and saying, okay, so I'm, uh, I'm taking raw materials, right. That are unfavorable in their current state, or I'm taking a rundown house, right. 
these things are led. I'm taking an idea that someone has in their head, right, for this for this space, whether it's a patio cover or whether it's a deck. They have this this idea, um, and we can talk about the principle of mentalism in, in in just a second. But everything starts in the mind, right? So they have this this idea that exists and it only exists in their brain at this point. Right. So I get to take that idea and I get to transmute that idea, uh, with, with these raw materials or this, this leaky roof or this, this wall that's full of mold. And I get to transmute those things into something physical, right. And practical and palpable that is going to change the quality and the trajectory of this person's life. Right. Yeah. And, that's huge to me. That's something I can be proud of. That's something that I can put my energy into every day is I'm, I'm changing lives, right? If I create a new living room or a new area for somebody that the first thing that they're going to experience when they come home every day is this space that I've created. Right. And it can either make or break the, the trajectory of this person's life. And I know it sounds really mundane to say like, well, uh, I, I did their living room and I feel like I, I, I changed somebody's life. But if you change the way that somebody sees their experience or their surroundings or their life overall, it's going to change the way that they vibrate. And those vibrations are going to change what they experience. So really by changing someone's mindset or state of happiness, you really can change the whole trajectory of their experience. And that's, that's beautiful to me. Um, Absolutely. If, yeah. When you, when you roof a house, right. It, nobody looks at the roof, but it's like, this is protecting everything that this person has traded their time and energy for because that's what an undertaking or a job is is you're exchanging your time and your energy for federal reserve banknotes that you're going to spend you know on a place to live or on a car or on you know material thing comfort things you know and what i do protects all that and so someone is trusting me with their most valuable possessions or the home that they live in that keep their shelter right and they're giving that responsibility to me and allowing me to transmute that into something that's going to create a more favorable experience for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So alchemy is everything. Yeah. Again, going back to the man on the street, if you say alchemy, they think of the, the old sort of 15th, 16th, 17th century, uh, you know, scientists trying to convert lead to gold. But the way you're describing it is it's something that's applicable in pretty much any walk of life. You're Absolutely. talking, uh, you know, whether it's spiritual alchemy or, even bringing into what you may feel is is quite a mundane thing, like like your job. But you you were talking about your job there, and I'm in I'm in the same sort of boat. I'm self employed tradesman as well. So we when we do a job, we have something that's uh, tangible at the end of it. We can get derived satisfaction from that, and we can use this sort of alchemical um, changing our perceptions in this way to to find value in what we do as a to earn the, the Federal Reserve banknotes. Um, and I was just thinking, there must be so many people out there who can't do that. You know, these sort of jobs that are about now where they're usually in an office or sat behind a desk or right. doing spreadsheets. I, I think we're lucky in a sense. I think our jobs are more uh, susceptible to being alchemized. Would that make sense? Right, and I, I don't think that that's coincidental either. So I wrote my th uh, freshman thesis on uh, public school as a manufacturing facility, right? And they take in all of these different materials and they try to punch them into the same product, right? And if you can't be punched into this exact same product as everybody else, then you kind of end up an outcast and you end up... Um, 
in, in a, in a less favorable situation, whether it's hanging out with kids that are going to get you in trouble or you end up in the prison system or you end up depressed and then they pharmaceutical and then they end up on pharmaceuticals or whatever, you know, this, this system is created to put everyone in this, this, this box. And this box is to, uh, take in information and then regurgitate the same information. It's not about thinking. We're not taught to think critically or to question things or to grow or to change things. They have a system and this is the way that they want it. And I think that a lot of the people that can't uh, conform that way mentally end up kind of doing stuff like we, we have done and, and we end up self-employed and we end up kind of the outcasts of the, um, of the industry. Not that there's anything wrong with being self-employed because I think everyone should be self-employed or at least working towards self-employment. Right. Um, which is why I, I encourage everyone to, to learn a trade because, uh, you know, all currency is it's two words. It's the word current and, and the word sea. And so the current is the flow of energy through a body of water and a sea is just a large body of water. So we're not talking about money when we're talking about currency, we're talking about energy and how it's flowing through our experience. Right. And all a federal reserve banknote is, is a gift card for somebody else's energy. Right? <laughs> and yeah. so you're trading a lot of your energy for a little bit of paper energy that you're going to trade for somebody else's energy. Right? Yeah. At the store. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. so when you talk about gold, this is an example I like to use. Like gold isn't expensive because it's pretty or it makes good jewelry. Gold is expensive because it's hard to get. And so when you buy gold, you're not really buying the gold. You're buying the right to transport the gold. Okay. You're buying the guy with the pitchfork in the wheelbarrow who goes up and beats it out of the earth and then smelts it down into a bar and then packs it back to town and then distributes it, you know? Um, And then if you were to buy that gold and resell that gold at a, at a higher price, then they're buying your energy at that point, right? That, that energetic exchange is what they're buying. They're not necessarily buying the gold because all you're doing is transporting the gold, right? It's the energy that you're purchasing. And Mm -hmm. so when you look at it like that, the value is actually the employee, right? The value is the carpenter or the value is even, even if you're stocking shelves, you are the value. If you don't put the item on the shelf, then nobody can come and buy that item with their energy. Right. And so, the way that business is designed, unfortunately, is A, through creating a model of scarcity, right, and and creating value through a system of supply and demand. And the problem with creating value with a system of supply and demand is that when you are uh, – when, when something gets valuable because there's not enough for everybody to have it, then for you to increase your wealth or your value, then someone else has to decrease theirs, Right. As opposed to living by a model of abundance where everyone can be prosperous. And so these jobs are set up to make the person at the top all of the money, even though it's the people at the bottom who are creating all the value. And so when you learn a trade and you can figure out how to be self-employed, you're kind of taking that big man at the top out of the picture. Yeah, exactly. And now you can you are the value and you're being paid to be the value. But you can't do that when you're working. um in a, in, in a machine, which is what most of these corporations are, is just machines. And you have these people who have been basically sold into debt slavery. You know, you've got to pay rent. You've got to have a car to drive. You've got to buy gas at $4 a gallon, you know, so you've got to get that money somewhere. And we're taught that how you get that money is you go get a job, right? And you yeah. work for somebody else. Um, and so part of alchemizing your experience is taking 
full control of, of, of your experience. You can't maximize your, the, the efficiency of your energetic exchange. If somebody else is in control of that energetic exchange. Right. Mm -hmm. And so moving away from the system of normal, and that's, that's another thing that, that drew me to alchemy was I don't fit in boxes, right? I'm not a, a, a normal person and I never have been. And every time somebody tried to categorize me as something, mm -hmm. it made me want to act like, you know, the other just to not fit into that box. And yeah. so, um, a big part of alchemy for me is owning your experience, right. And, and living your experience the way that you feel like you should be living that experience. Because again, you're either a master of your experience or a victim of somebody else's. And that's kind of a harsh way to look at it, but you're either dictating what's happening around you or somebody else's, you know, mm -hmm. when it, when it comes down to it, somebody is in control. Um, and I, I don't believe there's a neutral in this experience. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. You're either uh, a part of the problem or you're part of the solution. You're either actively improving your experience or you're allowing somebody else's experience to be improved at your expense, right? Yeah. Um, and so being able to take control, right, and empower the self can actually empower the people around you. We're taught that it's selfish to, 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 to do work on yourself or to put yourself first. But I'm of the mind that if you're not operating at a hundred percent, you're no good to anybody. How can you help somebody else? If you haven't helped yourself, just like, how can you love someone else? If you haven't learned how to love yourself. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's where all of this starts is, is, love and and self-love uh because there has to be a why uh to 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 put with the what the what is we want to improve our life right we want things to get better that's what we're trying to do but there has to be a why so that you have the energy to put in into the what and so if that why is self-love because i love myself and i deserve more than this right i don't deserve to be unhappy i deserve to live a favorable experience okay what am i gonna do to achieve this why now you have a reason now you have a place to come because you are worth it right and i think that a lot of people that get stuck in these low vibration states are because they think that's what they deserve i know i did right i had it instilled in me at a very young age that that's the way i deserve to get treated and that's the way that i deserve to feel um and so you got to break that you does know it, does it start with with perception then is this sort of one of the key starting part points is trying to uh, change your perception of the world around you of yourself through introspection and your through your, your relationships whether that be with family or friends or an employee or em employer rather is it how is it is that the first sort of starting point is is trying to change how you look at the world around you yeah and i would encourage um Here's the thing, like a big, a big part of hermeticism is things just are. Okay. And perception is, is, is crucial because there's ups and downs in this experience, right? It, there's, this place is a roller coaster and you can't affect, you can't change the way that things are going to happen around you per se, right? There are things in all of our experiences that are outside of our control, right? Um, but what you can change is the way that you perceive those things or the way that you allow those things to affect your experience. The way you react. Exactly. It's the one exactly. thing. Th this is something I, I learned a few years ago 
I don't know. I think it was maybe when, probably when my eldest child was born, or around that sort of age when I when I really start sort of started maturing. Because in the main, I don't think men sort of mature until they're about thirty, as a rule. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're big but, kids. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Pan. It's Peter Pan syndrome. But I remember being I got about the that pirate ship on the neck. Yeah. I remember being about that age and thinking, I don't know whether something had gone wrong or whatever, but just sort of came to this realisation. I don't know whether I'd heard it somewhere else first, whether I was primed to it or what, or whether it was on a podcast, I've no idea, but I just had this sort of realisation that you can't change that, which is that bad thing which which has just happened. The only thing you have control over is your reaction to it. Exactly. And then how you choose to let that affect the trajectory of your experience because you have cause and effect, right? What you do now is going to determine your experience tomorrow, right? And so you can't change these things that are happening around you, but you can change the way that you allow them to affect what's happening in front of you. It must be really hard to get out. You know, if if you're in a real bad rut as an individual, it must be really hard to get that sort of kickstart. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you mentioned about, was it about, did you say it was about three years ago when you, when you stopped drinking? Yep. October 2nd. What was there like a a catalyst? Was there a, like a eureka moment? Was there an event or something that sort of was a game changer for you? Um, so what's weird is most people will have like a rock bottom experience, right? Like they wreck their car or whatever. They get a DUI or their, their husband leaves them or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I'm going to quit drinking. I, my rock bottom was like a decade, right? There was no one event. There was just this me living this miserable existence. Um, and I think I was kind of just trying to drink myself to death is, is what I was trying to do. Um, and what really, I I said that crystals was, was the first thing that kind of opened my eyes, all this, but what opened my eyes to this whole world, right? This, this esoteric part of, of the experience that we live was, uh, learning about a Saturn return. So are you, are you, are you familiar with the idea of a Saturn return? No, explain. Okay. So every, uh, 29 and a half to 30 years, you Saturn ends up in the exact same place that it was in when you were born. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's ringing a bell now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had no clue about anything astrological and that's something that I'm still uh, really trying to learn, but trying to ingest slowly. There's just so much to um, astrology and, and um, I'm kind of partial to sidereal astrology, um, which just makes it that much more complicated. But uh, so I woke up on October 2nd, and I, it just something clicked, right? And I realized that I was 29 and I was in the exact same boat that I was in when I was 15. I was making great money, right? But I wanted to quit at the end of at two o'clock every day to go get hammered. I was unhappy. I couldn't pay my bills, even though I was making all this money. And I'm like, dude, this is, it was like this flash. And it, it reali- I realized that 15 years had gone by. And, and nothing had changed. I was making more money, but I was drinking more, you know? Um, and I was just done. I, I, I just woke up and I was, I was done. And I went, uh, I was drinking so much that I couldn't just quit. Um, oh, alcohol it would have been, things. so oh, it would have been me. physically dangerous, would it? Like, uh, Amy Winehouse. I think that's why she died. Yeah. I was, if I didn't have a drink by nine o'clock in the morning, then I couldn't function. Okay. Um, 
it was it was rough, man. It was rough. I was the guy that went to work with airplane bottles in in my pocket so that I could when nobody was looking on the roof, you know, I'd do a shot at eight o'clock an hour after work, do a shot at ten o'clock, do a shot at twelve o'clock, you know. Oh my God. Um and it was I, I never got buzzed or got drunk uh, just because my body didn't process it the same way. So I was like what I would consider sober. And then there would be like a three hour period of me just slamming as much liquor into my body as I could. And then there was like blackout. Basically there was no enjoyment phase anymore. And I I just realized that like, this wasn't going to change. This wasn't going to change. And so uh, I went, I went to the doctor and, and, and basically said, listen, uh, I, I, I want you to give me 11 diazepams. I said, I need four for the first day, three for the second day, two for the third day, and one for the two days after that. I said, I don't want to go to treatment. I want to not have a seizure while my body withdraws, right? And the lady was like kind of impressed at the amount of research that I had done about what I needed or whatever. And she's like, listen, it's very counterintuitive for me to write an addict a prescription for something that he can get addicted to you know? Um, but she goes, but I think you're for real and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it once. And she goes, don't ever ask me for anything again from this point on, you know? And she gave me a chance, man. And I still, um, very grateful for the doctor who was sitting there because they could have said, you know, no, you need to go to rehab or you need to whatever. But she gave me a chance. Um, and I've used that chance, you know, I, I, I took it seriously and, um, I, I haven't had a drop man, I haven't had a drop since October 2nd. And what was crazy was after about a week, I realized that the the hardest part was not knowing what to do with myself, right? I would just uh, sit around and drink and that's what would pass the time. And so now that I didn't have this pastime, it was like, I had all this time that I didn't know what to do with. And I had (laughs) no idea what I liked or what I was into or what I enjoyed because I, what I enjoyed was sitting on the porch, smoking cigarettes and drinking liquor, you know? Um, and so then I realized I like to mow the lawn and I realized that I liked art and I realized that I liked to read and all this stuff that I just couldn't stand doing. I like to cook. I love to cook. You know, there was uh, over the next three months, like all this stuff started popping up and, and what was crazy was after about, cause I, I told you, I went into it with the mindset that was like 10 years doesn't matter. Next year doesn't matter. You know, I, I we can reevaluate whether we're going to drink again in five years in five years, you know, but what needs to happen right now is this sobriety. And after about a month, um, I wanted nothing to do with it. There were no cravings. There were no urges, but I found this self-love thing, man, was the key was it clicked. And I was like, wait, this is what it feels like to care you know, and this is what it feels like to be willing to invest in something, right? Because at that point, I was willing to invest in the self and I was willing to, I, I realized I was finally starting to feel better. I was taking better care of myself and I was feeling better, right? And mm. these emotions that I was having to deal with, because I had just buried everything since I was 13 years old. You know, I had, as a 30 year old man, I had to realize I had, I had to learn how to process my emotions and, uh, you know, I was very violent for most of my life. I fought everybody. When I was a kid, man, I fought every weekend. It didn't matter who, it didn't matter what. It was like, I had this little man syndrome. My stepdad beat my, beat me up pretty good from the time that I was six or seven years old. And so that was how I learned to deal with things. Right. And that was how I learned to, um, um, 
validate myself was through physical violence. I'd find the biggest guy at the party and we were going to engage in some fisticuffs, you know? And, um, so learning how to, to communicate with people and how to calmly process things and how to, to handle things without punching somebody in the face. Like these are all things that you learn at 12, 13 years old. Mm. And I'm trying to learn them at, at 30. And I had to humble myself before this experience and just kind of say like, look, we got lead right now. Right. We got, we got a lot of lead, but we've got time and we've got energy and we've got a whole life in front of us that, that we can transmute into something better than what we've experienced, you know? And I I just went on this search and I found, uh, I found out that crystals, uh, different crystals that I held made me feel different types of ways. And I found that, um, you know, you didn't have to be a part of some gigantic, uh, organized religion to be able to to uh develop a relationship with with my creator or with the universe or with nature um and it when i found hermeticism man it was like it clicked and it was just it was my home i had always uh had kind of a thing for hermes and for thoth which a lot of people will tell you are are uh bad and that's that's just not how i see um, hermeticism or alchemy or, um, or any of this, um, Hermes was the scribe of the gods and he's been, he's been written about by every culture. Every culture is written about him. Uh, Enoch was, was the same as Hermes and Thoth. Mercury is what the Romans called him. You know, he was over in Mesoamerica and he was Verocha. He was Kukulkan. He was, uh, Quetzalcoatl, he was Ningashida, is what the Sumerians called him. I have tracked Thoth all all over the world, man, and seen uh, the, the impact that he's left. And so, this is this is what we were gifted, um, is my belief that the divine gifted this to Thoth or to Hermes or to you know whatever you want to call him, and that was passed down. Um, to us, which is very similar to like how Freya taught magic or taught divination to Odin, and then Odin gave it to um, to the people. This this gift came from somewhere, right? And that's what this is. This is a system to be able to uh, alchemize your experience and turn everything that comes into your path into gold. Because I assure you, everything that happens in this experience can be turned into gold, no matter how hard it is or how bad it hurts, there's always something there. And if we're growing from something, then it's not negative, you know? And people get hung up on this good and bad thing. And that, well, a bad thing happens that has to make me feel bad. Right. But the, the thing is, I, I don't believe that things are good or bad. There's the intention that's associated with an action. And then there's the way that that action is perceived. Right. But perception is ultimately an opinion, just like the truth is an opinion. So if you at what temperature does hot water become cold? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it depends how cold you are, doesn't it? To start exactly. with. Exactly. <laughs> and so if we're going to use 80 degree water as an example, if you come out of 60 degree water and you put your hand in that 80 degree water, it's going to feel warm. <laughs> but if you come out of hundred degree water and you stick your hand in that same 80 degree water, it's going to feel cold now. Right. So which one is the truth? And does the water change? Is the water changing or is it just your perception of the water that's changing? Right. Yeah. And then how do you use that in life? 
How do you use that in life? Because these things that happen, if you're standing over here, that might be a really negative thing. But if you're standing over here, you know, and you're looking at it the right way, it might not be so negative. And so what is positive or negative is the way that you allow these things to enter your experience and how you allow them to affect your experience. Because a lot of the times that I grew the most, right, was when my life was the hardest or the most unfavorable. That's when I experienced the most positive change. So are at that point, are those things good or are they bad? Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, congratulations on your sobriety. Um, Thank you. I, no, it's it's really uh, inspiring. And um, to do it on your own, off your own back as well. It's um, It was time, man. Yeah, it's it's really admirable. And I'm sure a lot of people listening might be you know i've had similar similar experience in uh, rough rough patches maybe not as long as yours but it, you know who hopefully can take comfort and and this sort of positivity that you're generating and um i like the way you describe again it's going back to this it's everything's about perception and when something shit happens to you trying to recognize that as, a, as an opportunity rather than just something shit happening to you and and like you you described these as your most the times when you grew the most is it i think how you put it right um, i mean it's just Absolutely. It's, yeah it's this mind the, the big thing is mindset isn't it mindset and perception and um trying to fight fight these negative thoughts that come into your head and try and turn th- turn things around because you have to do Absolutely. it on your you got to do it on your own haven't you no one's going to do it for you exactly and you know the the game changer for me was i spent my whole life asking why is this happening to me right like why me what did i do to deserve this right and switching why is this happening to me to why did i put myself here right And what can I learn from this? What am I supposed, because I believe that everything happens, you know, I I know it sounds really cliche to say that everything happens for a reason. Um, Even if that reason is growth, right? Because I think that everything, there's, there's growth in everything. And so, and I think that everywhere that we are at is a direct, has a direct correlation to decisions that we made or choices that we made or what we were vibrating, you know, and we can go through the principles here in a minute if you want. Um, But um, cause and effect is huge. So like, I always ask myself, why did I put myself here? Right. Why am I here? Why have I chosen to be, when you get a flat tire, it's like, okay, why did I do this to myself? What am I supposed to learn from this? And if the lesson that you're supposed to learn is to make sure that there's air in your spare, that you have a spare tire, that you have a Jack, right. You've still learned something, right. And you're going to make sure that that never happens to you again in your experience. Right. So So you're you're taking responsibility. A lot of us, we're very, we're very quick to blame outside influences or outside circumstances without learning to take responsibility for what's happening to ourselves so that's that's my takeaway from that sort of lesson exactly and that's that's what hermeticism was for me was me being able to take responsibility for my experience right because if i'm blaming everyone around me i can't control everyone around me (laughs) right so i'm just along for the ride at that point and i refuse to just be along for the ride when you know it's like if you were trying to get to work would you do it from the back seat with somebody else driving you know (laughs) and and hope that you ended up where you were trying to get (laughs) you know yeah and so it's it's 
it's taking accountability and the, the, the principles are simple and we, we, we can go through them real quick, but they're powerful, man. Um, and so there's, there's seven of them. And the first principle is the principle of mentalism. Okay. The principle states that all is mind and the universe is mental. Okay. Um, and that everything in this experience exists in the mind of the all. Okay. So in hermeticism, the all or Adam is, uh, the divine, uh, the, or, or, or prime creator or whatever you want to call this. And so the belief is that everything that exists, exists in the mind of this creator. Okay. The whole experience. So, and, and, and everything that happens in this experience is a direct result of the mind that precedes it. Okay. So everything that we're experiencing existed in the mind before it existed in our experience. Now, the things that we encounter out of our, uh, outside of our experience, whether it's the landscape or, or something. So that is taking place in the, in the mind of the all. Right. And we are just experiencing that because we're co-creators here. This isn't just our experience, right? This, our experience is going to overlap with other people's experience. And there's a base experience here that exists in, in the mind of this prime creator or Adam is another way that, that hermeticism refers to it, which is cool because you've got Adam, 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 you've got Adam, the all, which is A-T-U-M. Right. Right. You've got Adam, the first man, which is ADAM, which is the foundation of the the population uh, of this whole uh, everybody that exists in the experience. And then you have Adam, A-T-O-M, which is the building block of matter. Right. And everything that exists inside this experience. So something phonetically that is a little interesting is you have these three atoms that make up this entire experience. Right. And so Adam is a very powerful, um, very powerful word etymologically. Um, But this principle states that before anything can exist in the physical, it must exist in your mind. Right. So this is like manifestation 101 here is for you to have something exist in your physical reality. First, you have to be able to make it exist in your mental reality. Right. And then manifest that and create that through avenues of alchemy. Right. Through transmuting the things that you do have into this idea that you have that you're trying to to produce. Um, It sounds like it sounds like imagination. It's, it's exactly what it is, you know, and that's why um, I think that's why school starts as early as it does is, is <laughs> kids operate in in almost predominantly in, in theta. Right. Which is like a hypnotic state. It's, it's very similar to the state that you get put in when you're hypnotized. And there is instant creation in that kind of a vibration. And so that's why when kids sit down and they've got mud in their cup, you know, but they're having a tea party, like that is real to them. That is that party that they're having is as real as you or I in their experience. And so we're taught at a very young age to stop that. And that's yep. what, that's, that's what we're taught in school is that no, 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 no. There's five senses and that's how you perceive everything. And these are the laws of physics, right? <laughs> and, and this is what these words mean, you know, and they're teaching you, uh, spelling which is <laughs> not called spelling by accident <laughs> um, but we're very powerful creators um and and a lot of what public education is to me is to convince us that we are small and that we are insignificant and that we are a victim of this experience we're taught victimhood at a very young age mm. um and so 
Next, we've got the principle of correspondence, which this one most people are pretty familiar with. This is where as above, so below, um, as the universe, so the soul. Um, and so everything on all planes of existence are connected in correspondence. Everything, right? This is where the micro is the macro comes in. The outer is the inner. The everything is the cellular. And this is this is a, um, a, a very simple one, but a very profound one at the same time, you know, because anything that you create on a small scale is going to be replicated on a grand scheme, right? So as we do anything, we do everything. And that is reciprocated like ripples in a pond, right? And that, that just that is now and and so one thing to keep in mind with this is that the mind takes everything as it is right and it will recreate exactly what we focus on the most now this is good or bad see what i'm saying and so if you have which is why the things that we fear we shouldn't we should try not to think about right and that's not to avoid it but to fear something or to constantly stew on something is giving it power and that's what you're going to create right if that's what you're vibrating if that's what you have in your mental space we're creators so if that's if that's what's in the driver's seat of creation then that's exactly what you're going to create and so it's incredibly important to be to be mindful of what you're manifesting because you're constantly manifesting and you're constantly transmuting and so ultimately your frequency determines your experience okay right yeah that makes what sense because you because you attract what exactly. you what you put out in the world you 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 know if you put out a lot of negativity you're going to attract more negativity i imagine that's what you're going to get that's that's yeah. all you're going to get you know um next we have the principle of vibration so this this principle states that nothing rests everything moves everything vibrates okay so everything no matter how large or small is in perpetual motion it's vibrating at vibrating at a certain motion speed and frequency and this combination determines the physical or substantial form of any object yeah okay so um so they were into like uh, particle physics then the hermeticists yeah this is like (laughs) ancient this is where all of it comes from and people uh it gets it gets written off but this hermeticism gave birth to every abrahamic religion or every belief system that is still in existence today this is where all of science came from all of like you said you're talking particle physics and this is this is all um what is science it's trying to understand this is thing the way that things are why are the things this way yeah right and so this is the root of all of that this was man trying to understand this experience at a deeper level and what makes this thing tick and what makes it talk, you know? Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's so cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And so this is where transmutation comes into place is with this principle of vibration. And right. so when you change your mental state, you change your vibration and that changes your experience. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's pretty simple. These are, these are profound things that we're talking about. It sounds obvious when you, when you say it like that so succinctly, doesn't it? That, well, and that's the thing about hermeticism is that we all know this. We're just taught not to practice it. I mean, I, I, I tell people to read the Kabbalion or I post these hermetic axioms and people are like, yeah, well, I know. And it's like, then use it. Right. You yeah. know, then, then use it. If, if, 
this was common knowledge and everyone put this into practice, we would have no problems. We really, we really wouldn't. This is, this is how we take control of our experience. I went from the most unhappy person that I have ever met before in my entire life with no control over my experience over the course of three years to the happiest person that I know. Right. Uh, who, who it, I enjoy every aspect of this experience, even the stuff that most people would consider bad. And really this has all happened within the last year or year and a half. It took me a year to figure out. I had no idea who I was. That was year <laughs> one of sobriety. Year two was me figuring out that it's okay to have no idea who I was. So that was a two year process right, right there. And then it took me a year to figure out who I was. And that's a process that's still evolving every day. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm not the person I was when I woke up this morning. I'm not the person I was yesterday. I'm not the person that I was when we started this podcast because everything that comes into my experience is going to change my vibration and that vibration is going to shape, you know, my experience. And so this fluidity and this, uh, what's the word for clay when it's, uh, we need to be malleable, right? And we need to constantly be trying to grow and constantly be more because complacency is this thing that we get caught up in. And that is the root of all things unhappy is, is complacency or compromise or settling. Stagnation. That's right. And that's what I was saying earlier. I don't think there's such a thing. I think that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards and you're regressing into what your life used to be. Um, and so these things, they're super simple, but they're, they're very empowering when they're put into practice. Um, next principle is the principle of polarity. Um, and so this states that everything is dual, right? Everything has poles like and unlike are the same opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Okay. So this was a little bit like we talked about with the water. Yes. Yeah. Like good and bad are just varying degrees of the same thing. Right. Yeah, what, duality. What changes, exactly. Yin what and yang, is order how and you chaos. View the good or the bad. Exactly. And what we want is somewhere to be, we want to be somewhere in between that. And so what I tell people is the alchemist is the constant. And we're going to get into the principle of rhythm next. And so that will kind of explain what I mean by that. Right. Um, but the principle of polarity states that all truths are but half truths. Okay. And all yeah. paradoxes may be reconciled. Um, yeah, dark like- light. It goes back to uh, perception again, doesn't it, Terence? So like order or chaos, you can't describe one without having knowledge of the other. Well, and one creates the other and the other creates the the one, you know, you can't have dark without light or good without bad. And when people talk about how can you think that there is that, that, that bad doesn't exist or evil doesn't exist. Well, here's the thing, like the worst people in the world, right? They're doing just the most vile, disgusting things. Even those things are creating light because one cannot exist without the other. And so even if you do it as practical as like me finding out about all the terrible things that happen in third world countries is making me want to learn more about this and expose this or try to use my energy to improve that, that's dark creating light, right? Right. And it's it's the bad things that get the people like you or the people like me off our butts and out and trying to actually do something and create change. And so without these, these terrible people, we wouldn't have good people like 
like the people that are out there creating change right now. And if it, there would be no need for heroes, if there wasn't a bad guy, Absolutely. right? If yep. everything was just good, we'd have no concept of good or bad and things would just be, and we would be unhappy about that. <laughs> right. Cool. So we need, we need some sort of context. And so this principle just basically states that dark, light, love, hate, good, bad, hot, and cold are all just varying degrees of the same thing. The difference is determined by the law of vibration. Okay. Some vibrate higher, others on a lower level. So it's just like you and I are the same as, you know, the tree outside. We're just carbon molecules. We're just carbon atoms, right? What, what the difference is, is how fast we're vibrating. And those carbon atoms in the tree are vibrating at a different uh, speed than the, the carbon atoms inside me. And so that's why we're perceived differently with our senses. It's, but it's all just vibration on the, on, on the largest scale and on the smallest scale. Um, next we have the principle of rhythm. So this one states that the pendulum swing manifests in everything and the swing to the right is the swing to the left and the rhythm compensates. So this basically says that there is rhythm between every pair of opposites. So this is the force that enables one pole to the other right? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. For every success, there will be a failure. For every ounce of dark, there will be an ounce of light, right? This is cosmic balance. And so what this is, you have, you have two poles, right? And, and what I try to use to draw this picture is like, you have two poles and we're going to travel back and forth between those poles constantly, right? Which is rhythm. Okay. And that rhythm creates vibration, and that vibration is what determines this experience. And so when you can look at things, the, the, basically the, the, the rhythm that you're creating between these two poles determines your vibration. And that vibration directly determines what you're going to encounter in this experience. Okay. Right. So things aren't good or bad. They just are, right? Some things that lie outside of the control of the alchemist. And those things, you just allow them to be. Right? They just are. The key of, is not to let these things affect you. It kind of sounds similar to how I've had karma described to me before. It's very similar. Mm. It's very similar. And, um, you know, what I, what I teach is to find a state of indifference, right? To live in the gratitude of the experience, not the ups or the downs inside it, right? So you can right. still experience tons of gratitude. You can still be happy, but you can be indifferent to everything that's happening around you. You can realize that these things aren't good or bad. And every time that I run to this good side and try to claim this as good, I'm going to get drugged to this bad side <laughs> because this is what the universe does, right? And so learning how to just allow things to happen. So the world goes like this, right? Imagine a, a heartbeat, right? It goes up and down over the top of this line. The alchemist wants to be the baseline, Okay, yeah. the constant in the experiment and all these variables just are right. And how we perceive those variables dictates our experience. So the next principle is the principle of cause and effect. I think we've got two more here. Mm -hmm. So everything happens in accordance with law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes <laughs> of causation, but nothing escapes the law. Okay. So it's, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory and it, it sounds kind of funny when you read it like that, but it's like, these are just these simple principles that we already know that we don't fully, uh, 
understand or understand or adhere to or recognize um, yeah it's like the, the the way you describe chance it's just so matter of fact and so obvious when you hear it but you know you know that if you have something bad happens to you tomorrow you think oh bloody hell what a shit bag of luck that is you know no, man, we did not. that yeah I know. we did that and so <laughs> it's so obvious effect, when you say it like that it, it's just simple right and it's so funny because people are like yeah i know and it's like then use it you know <laughs> then use it everybody that i know everybody that i have met and everybody that i've read about who has started to work these principles has drastically improved their life and if you taking things that you already know and putting them into practice is going to drastically improve your life already know them that's great you know, um, but there's these, these are just simple, you know, they're simple and they're concise and they're straightforward and they're matter of fact, but they're also just so profound and the impact that they have is, is immeasurable. Right. Yeah. And for me to say something like every cause has an effect and every effect has an underlying cause, which is determined by law. Right. This is taking something that is simple and just taken for granted. Well, yeah, I understand that what I do creates you know where i'm gonna be but it's like when you say it like that and you say this is law you know everything that is going to happen is going to happen in accordance with law you know people don't understand that there is this cosmic law that exists there is this balance there is this order that is going to be kept it's going to be kept no matter how you feel about it right or or what kind of triggers this is going to create the law is going to be kept and so understanding this principle can can help you see that if you understand the consequences of your actions, you can choose what actions to take or not take. Again, very simple, right? But when you think about it that way, and that's the way, that's the mindset that you're in, right? It can change things. So being the cause, you, you want to be the cause, not the effect. This makes you the master as opposed to the victim. There is no neutral. This is the law of polarity. We're back to the law of polarity now. Change your polarity with the power of your mind and free will and you change your experience, right? Yeah, excellent. Last principle is the principle of gender, okay? So gender is constantly confused with sex, Right. Yeah. okay? Yep. Sex is a physical manifestation of gender, okay? But they're not the same thing. They're not synonymous. So um, gender isn't everything. Everything has its masculine and its feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes, okay? Um, right, so sex, sex applies with the, the sort of duality. There's the duality with sex, whereas gender is more of a spectrum. Is that what we're saying? Uh, we're not. What I'm saying is, uh, there's yin and yang, okay, right. physiologically, but also in everything. So both qualities are simultaneously in everyone, as well as all things, okay. Right. Left and right brain correspond with this, right? Rational versus emotional, giving versus receiving, passive versus aggressive, right? These are genders. These are opposites. Right. And so they're poles, they're polarity, but they're not the same thing as your reproductive organ. Right. Yeah. That's the physical matter that you're sort of born yes. with, your, your chromosomes, whatever. Whereas exactly. Ge- whereas gender, whereas gender is, is, is this is... duality within us all. Yeah. And how we approach things. Right. So to be masculine is to deliver or to give. 
right? To be oh, feminine yeah, right. is to receive or to absorb. Cool, and so yeah. every time right now me speaking is a masculine action, right? And you absorbing that is a feminine action. Now that doesn't mean that you're being a girl. No, no. Right? It, it's just to, to give or to receive. That's the yin and the yang. And so finding balance between those two poles is what's the key, right? There has to be balance because without the feminine, the masculine will act without restraint, resulting in chaos. The feminine without the masculine will reflect and fail to do, resulting in stagnation, right? And so the the, the way that these complement each other is what is the key, uniting this yin or uniting this yang, um, or uniting this yin with the yang. So with feminine and masculine working in conjunction, there is thoughtful action that breeds success. This points out that both actions fulfill each other. The union of opposites is how we truly come into our power as co-creators of this experience. You have to be both, right? And society teaches you, this is what men do, and this is what women do. And if you're in touch with your emotions, then you're feminine, right? Or you're girly, or, you know, and and so society is constructed in a way to keep us from utilizing our creative energies and our creative powers, because... If we are dictating our own experience, that experience can't be dictated by the people who are trying to control this place, right? So this yeah. is a very scary notion for yeah, them. Yeah, so, so absolutely. If you if you're you know if you were born a boy and you decide you want to be a nurse, society sort of has a right. certain view about that. Or, or if you're female and you decide to, you want to be a bricklayer, there are certain right. societal norms, cultural norms, which try and try and uh, persuade people out of that when what we should be seeking is balance in these things. Exactly. And I think that there's a lot to be said about um, a lot of the major religions are very matriarchal, right? Matriarchal? uh, Excuse me, patriarchal. Patriarchal. Yeah, you caught me there. Um, They're all, the men are in charge, right? Which it, it hasn't always been this way. If you read about the, are you familiar with the Gnosians? Gnosians is that different from the Gnostics? It's where the Gnostic uh, belief system originated. So the Gnosians, this is K N Gnosis or Gnosis was the was the name of the town. K N O S S U S. Gnosis. It sounds right. Greek. It sounds Greek. And it was. It's right in that area. Um, wow. I can't remember what the name of that bay is where they're all at, but it's, it's right smack dab in there. And what these people believed was that we lived in a false matrix. Okay. And the women were in charge. Right. And, and, and so the sacred bloodlines were passed down through the women, which is something that I really, it, it intrigues me to think about, like, maybe that still happens. And maybe like the, the women are actually the ones in charge. Like even, <laughs> Maybe it's the president's wives that are are the ones that are carrying the bloodlines that these people are so so concerned about um, preserving. But the they it, it's crazy how an idea like that, like a matrix, right, uh, could have been. Gnosis was ten thousand years ago. Wow, really? Right, right I'm not and familiar so, with this uh, civilization at all. It's it's absolutely incredible, and and so what has happened is the man has been empowered, right? And this is not me going uh, going feminist or anything here because I think that each gender has... Uh, a woman is supposed to be what a man's not and, and, and vice versa. I think yeah, we spend way an, too much time competing with each other. A, we have an equally valuable role to play. Right. 
Um, but that has kind of been taken away. And, you know, my argument for that is like, if a man is supposed to be the warrior, right? If, if this guy is supposed to take his battle ax and walk into that dude's yard and lop off that dude's head, right? He's supposed to be a little crazy. Now is that same person who's supposed to be a little crazy, the best person to sit down and make decisions about whose head gets lopped off (laughs) or should maybe there be somebody different with a different set of traits and a different set of skills and a different set of motivations be making those changes. Right. And, and this is not to say that I believe that women should be in charge either. I think that both of these polls and meeting somewhere in the middle is, is critical. Yeah. Right. It's, and, and that's the same with everything is, is the key is in balance, right? Whether it's, you don't want things to be too good or too, because then they're going to fall, right? You don't want things to be, you, you want to find this, this happy medium, mm. you know, and that's what the, the symbol Baphomet is to me, right? Oh, wow. We, we are taught that, uh, and I, I try to bring this up often because that's a symbol that's that's very heavily demonized and attacked. And I was taught, uh, for example, that that was the same as Satan or the devil or, right. or Lucifer. Is that that's what the Baphomet was? I mean, things and, like this, things like this, Tarrant won't help. This is something I'm reading at the moment. Yeah, yeah, not super helpful. No, right on the front cover um, there. <laughs> but a symbol is only as powerful as what it's charged with or what it, what it is driving it. Right. And so you could take the propeller for example. Right. And that was a a symbol of peace and love and prosperity. And then you had the Nazis take it and flip it over and then associate a different intention with that. And if you're familiar with sigil magic and how that works, you, you take a, a sign or a symbol. And then when you charge that, it becomes a living, it's a, it's a, uh, an actual entity now that you have created. And so what that entity is created with is the energy and the intention and the, and, and the belief that's associated with it when it's created. Yeah. It's charged. And so, right. Yep. And so I think you do the same thing with a symbol, you empower that symbol and the, and you do that collectively and you do that individually, but the, the Baphomet, the Templars worshiped, um, and he's got, or it's got the one hand up and the one hand down. It's, it's up and it's down. It's left and right. It's dark and light. It's got the breasts, but it's also got the caduceus that's making the phallus in its lap. Right. So it's yep. feminine and it's masculine. And so, uh, the, what it meant to the Templars and what it meant to me is middle way. Right. And middle way is something that we should be seeking all the time. There is no pole that is the right side. There's, there's never a pole that's where you want to exist, you know? And another example that I try to use a lot is, um, like politics. I'm a political atheist. I don't, I don't get into any of that anymore, but people are so caught up on the left and the right, right? They've created two poles and everything that they say on the news is polarizing. It's going to put you in one camp or the other, right? And you've got the news spending all of their time and energy making the left mad at the right and making the right mad at the left. Yeah. And nobody's talking about the head of this bird that's dictating what both of the wings do. Yeah. You know, and left so wing, we, left wing, right wing, uh, same bird. I said that last yeah. week on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, we're, we're caught up on the poles. Yeah. Right. We're not in the middle. We're not in that balance. We're not in that order. Yeah, it's divide the, the, and conquer, isn't it? 
That's exactly what it is. We've been doing it for thousands of years, man. If people divided are easier to control. And that's where I think all these boxes come in. And that's why I think they've got all these social justice warriors now and why they've got, and they're separating everyone. So if you are, you're, if this is who you are and they decide that this person is not supposed to get along with this person, now they've polarized you, right? And they're creating all these subcategories so that they can create other subcategories that those don't get along with. The more ways that they can separate you and divide you, the more ways they have to um, to keep you isolated, right? Because where we're powerful is our, our, our creative forces are very powerful on our own. Um, but when you take shared intention right now you're talking something very powerful right and 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 uh dr emoto did some work on this with the miracle of water when he was uh i, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar no with i was just gonna work. say who's this <clears throat> he uh he basically was studying the molecular structure of water um and he would do certain things to it he found out that we can talk to our water Right. And that when, if you look at a glass of water and you tell it, and it sounds really silly until you see the science that this guy has put together, if you tell your glass of water that you love it, right. Or something positive, you're beautiful, or I love you. The structure will change into these beautiful, symmetrical, um, aesthetically pleasing shapes. Now on the contrary, if you tell it that it's ugly or you say, I hate you, it's going to make these obtuse, asymmetrical unattractive shapes and so the structure of this water and now what are we right we're yeah, water 90 so, water yeah yeah so us ingesting this structured water is going to alter the structure of our water right when you stand next to someone and you get weird vibes or when somebody says something that you're about to think like that water is the medium Right. And if you are able to change the, the structure of a glass of water in front of you by thinking or, or, or looking at it or talking to it, then you are absolutely capable of changing the structure in another person. Right. Or and, and, and the argument can be made that we're all just fish anyways. Right. That that air is just less dense water, but it's still water. They're made up of the same thing. Right. And so if water is this medium that transfers vibration, which is my belief, I think that all of this is basically just less dense water. And that is what is the vessel for the ether or for the vibration or for everything to kind of use as a conduit to travel and to transmute through this experience. Um, But there's just, there's energy all around us all the time right and there's there's my creative energy and there's your creative energy and there's the the energies that are are already here from whatever you call the prime creator and you know what magic is what real magic is is just controlling those energies right and and directing those energies in a way that is going to create a more positive experience uh for you to exist inside um, I think that we have movies like Harry Potter and stuff like that that fantasticize it to keep you from realizing that magic is right in front of you all the time. And, they, you know, the, the definition of magic is just um, it's creating change and conformity with will uh, by using methods not understood by, by modern science. And yep. once you really look into modern science, we don't understand a lot. 
No, I know. think um, there's a famous stat. I think it's something like we can account for modern or modern science rather can account for I think six percent of all matter and energy in the universe. Right. Well, and that's because they won't acknowledge spirit. No. Right. They won't acknowledge the, the, or whatever you want to call it. The ether. I do a lot of work with organite. Um, oh, cool. You should uh, check studied. out our, uh, we did, uh, one of our first guests who we didn't know was a guy called uh, Peter Jones, and um, okay. he heads up, He he's like the chief organomist in the UK, and he happens to live five minutes really? down the road from me. Yeah, he lives That's just down- incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, That's I'll, incredible. I'll send you a link, and it, it, yeah, he was talk- telling us all about Wilhelm Reich and, and organomy and stuff. It was really cool. I, uh... I studied Reich's work a lot and um, it kind of, whether you want to call it chi or ki or mana or prana or vril or ether or orgon, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, there's this energy, there's this, uh, this force that is everywhere and it's renewable and it's, it's unlimited. And, um, you know, Tesla wrote about it a lot and it's, it's there and it's ours to use. And so I think a big part of alchemy is being able to utilize this universal force that's around us all the time. So do do you think the orgone energy is analogous to the principa? um, The prima materia? Prima materia, sorry. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's different names for the same thing. I think that everybody has been talking about the same thing. Yeah. Got you. Since the beginning, you know, and I think that on a on a spiritual scale, I think that, you know, no matter what religion you're talking about, you're telling a story of two brothers, right? Um, a story, whether it's Cain and Abel or whether it's Inky and Enlil or wherever you want to go, there's there's whether it's Jesus and Thomas, you know, there's there's a story of duality. Mm. Right. There's dark and there's light or there's good and there's evil. And there's and so I believe that the same story has been being told since the beginning of time. And it's a story of finding that balance between duality or finding the duality and then embracing it and rising above it. Um, and that is the foundation of all spirituality to me is just embracing this plane and its poles and and utilizing them to vibrate at a frequency of unconditional love. Yeah. And I think, oh, wow. I, I think that's what it's all about. You know, I can care um, completely. Uh, w- w- was that all the, have we done all seven of the hermetic principles? We did all seven of the hermetic principles. Well, and it's, isn't it crazy how simple they are? Oh no. Yeah, it is. It's mind blowing. And uh, I guess that's why this sort of ancient wisdom has managed to stick around for so long. You know, right. d- despite, you know, I mean, if you just look at the history of Wilhelm, Wilhelm Reich and how how they, for lack of a better word, came after, right. came after him, you know, Absolutely. Um, people, um, you know, in, in a former lifetime, Tarrant, you would have been labeled a heretic Well, uh, for what you're to saying. Some, to some, I could be labeled that in this lifetime. Um, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Oregon. So I don't know if you're familiar with Kate Brown over there, but <laughs> she's turned everybody into a terrorist. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about it before, how there is in our sort of podcast community, alternative media community, there is definitely a tension between um, 
the Christianity and the Abrahamic religions and a lot of the, I don't want to say new age because it's the wrong term, but the sort of hermeticist uh, slash new age slash absolutely spirituality community my opinion on that is i I believe that as as we're on polls i think that uh spirituality and religion are polls i think i don't think that you can be both i think that you're one or you're the other and i think that to be uh, that the spiritual journey is empowerment of self right an empowerment, uh, a, a direct connection with your higher power or your creator or the divine or whatever, whatever you want to call that in your school of thought. Whereas religion is empowerment of, of, of the group or of the person at the head of the group or of the machine or whatever you want to call the, you know, because I was taught that the word occult was the same thing as a cult, <laughs> right? Rather than hidden. Right. And so, and I personally see a lot of cult-like behavior on the side that was telling me that everything outside of that was a cult. Well, yeah. How do, you, so, how do you define a cult? What's the difference between a cult and a religion? Some would say it's just the passage of time. The, the numbers. It's the, uh, yeah. the amount of people that you've got you know? Um, and so I, I think that a big part of it is, um, people have worked very hard to keep us from coming into our creative abilities. Right. And that, um, it's hard. We're back. We're back to control. I think that it's hard to control, a a group of people who are all independent thinkers and critical thinkers and questioning everything and saying, no, I do not accept this as my reality. I'm going to create a more favorable reality, you know, Um, as opposed to this is the way that it is. And this is the way that it was going to be. And you're not going to question this or you're going to be whatever you were told was going to happen. I thought I was going to be struck by lightning for talking about stuff like this for, (laughs) for most of my life you know Um, and so there's a structure of of fear and of guilt and of you know uh, of these things or of love and of empowerment and of freedom and sovereignty um yeah and that's why the 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 religion thing never worked for me was anything that i wasn't allowed to question or try to understand um on a deeper level yeah it's an instant Um, red light that isn't it Instant yeah. alarm, alarm bells. Exactly. You know, I think that yep. things are meant to be questioned. And Absolutely. when I speak or when I uh, hand out philosophy, like I don't expect anyone to take what I say as uh, unquestionable truth. You know, this nothing that comes out of my mouth is dogma, right? This is this is my truth, right? This is what has worked for me in my experience. And it's something that I want to share with other people so that they can try to help improve their experience. And these people that reach out to talk about this kind of stuff, they realize like, I'm not in a position to be able to fix anybody's life or improve anybody's life. Right. I can show you a set of tools that you possess 
right? And give you the motivation or the confidence to pick them up and start using them. But that's not me improving your experience. That's you improving your experience. And so I think a big part of what uh, starts people on this path is them hold ready to being ready to hold yourself accountable and being ready to put in work and not get instant people want an instant exchange they want to say okay well i ate healthy today so i want to lose 10 pounds today you know and that's not how this works and and what makes manifestation hard for people is i believe that the that how manifestation works is creating something in the mind and experiencing gratitude for it while it exists in this mind in this mental state and that you your gratitude for that in its mental state is what produces that and what manifests that on a physical level, right? So everything exists here first. And once you can experience gratitude for it in the mind, it will manifest in the physical, right? But people have a hard time being experiencing gratitude for something that they can't hold in their hand, right? Because if I can't perceive it with these five senses, then it's not real is what we're taught. Okay. But what is real? Right. What what makes something real is the fact that I can smell something or I can touch something or I can taste something. Are these five senses what determines reality? You know, or what 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 constitutes real? If this this wooden desk that's right here, I can feel it and I can taste it and I can smell it. But is it going to be here in 100 years? Right. And is it any different than the molecules that are vibrating inside me? So am I the desk and is the desk me and am I real? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, to, to ask whether something's real or not, it's just like an alien. You know, what's an alien? And people ask me if I believe in aliens. Well, define alien, you know. If I go to Mexico, I'm an alien, right? <laughs> so, like, um, it's, we gotta, we gotta ask ourselves what we're really asking ourselves before we can get to, to the meat and bones of it, Absolutely. you know. Um, um. Well, Tarrant, we've we've blown through an hour already. I could talk to you all night, but I'm gonna have to let you get on with your day. It's, well, anytime uh, you want to do this again, oh, you let been, me know. This was this was great. Yeah, it's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure the eaves, eavesdroppers will enjoy it too. And uh, <laughs> you're such a positive sort of um, your positivity is infectious, and uh, your story as well is incredibly inspiring. So, thanks for uh, sharing your time with us. I appreciate that, man. I, I, I am very, very grateful for the opportunity to be heard uh, by New Year's, and um, I hope that it it motivates some people to to do some things. Man. Yeah. They're more than welcome to reach out. Where can people um, find you? Where shall I put, put links in the show notes? Right now, um, I live on Instagram, right. and um, I am Hatter Will Happen uh hatter underscore will underscore happen um i've got a podcast in the works that that is coming um so that's something to look forward to that'll be called tea with the hatter um (laughs) but man my thing is i just i want to be the person that if, if i can make it out of what i was in Right. If I can make it out of that experience, those lows of the lows and and granted, my life's not perfect by by any measure. Right. But I am thankful and grateful every day that I wake up and I'm excited about what I'm going to be able to do with this. And as opposed to looking at things 
everything's a challenge now and it's just something that I can grow from. And I want to share that with people and, and everybody who has, um, you know, kind of humbled themselves before themselves, because that's, that's what it is. It's you're not humbling yourself in front of some power asking to be saved, right? You're, you're saying, okay, let's save ourselves, right? The only person who's going to save me is me. And that's an empowering and a, and a, um, it's a pretty special thing to take control of your experience and to start to, to, to dictate that experience. And so if, if there's a way I can share that with people, people have questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, ideas. I would love to hear from everybody. Um, I answer all my DMS. I'm, I, I make time for it. So, um, yeah, man, thanks again. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's been great. And uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes to, uh, your Insta and whatnot, so people can uh, check out. You've been doing some videos. I noticed on there, uh, yeah. explaining different things and aspects in your perspective. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. Just stay on the line for us while I play our, our, myself out, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. All right, Tyrant. All right, then we're back. The cripple and the mother of madness. Oh, I tried to cut the dwarf and the cripple off, but it didn't quite. I didn't quite nail it. Just me tonight, uh, so I don't know how this is going to work. But it's got to be done. It's got to be done, otherwise it'll screw my schedule. Anyway, that was uh, my chat or our chat with Tarrant Tarrant Firestride. Um, check out the links in the show notes if you want to follow him on Instagram. He's doing these videos. Um, sort of describing different aspects of what we were talking about and uh, I thought our chat was incredibly illuminating could have talked to him all night to be honest on these sort of subjects so uh, yeah I'm sure you will have enjoyed it it was good anyway let's move on housekeeping housekeeping This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider. Please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. Uh, word of mouth, my favorite way to share the love, to return some value. Uh, if you know someone who's into podcasts, who listens to a lot of podcasts, and you think they would find benefit from, from what we do on our little show, then um, send them a link, you know, a Spotify link or. Uh, hit them in the mouth, as the No Agenda folks would say, uh, and spread the word that way. I think that helps. It helps us grow organically. Um, what else can you do? YouTube. Find us on YouTube or Odyssey and subscribe on there. Uh, if you want to see how the sausage is made, that's the place to go. Um, you get the interviews are on YouTube and then the full length videos are on odyssey because youtube doesn't like this the, the second half the housekeeping I found it quite controversial so that has to go on odyssey so find us on there and earn some crypto while you're doing it it's like uh if you watch a video you get like a daily reward and you don't have to watch the whole thing just click it for a few seconds and you get a little crypto kickback and guess what you could always forward a chunk of your crypto kickback to us to support us that way, you know. Um, how else can you return the value? Leave us a review. 
Uh, iTunes, apparently. Apparently, iTunes reviews are important. Uh, but whatever platform you're listening to, if you if you leave us a review and forward it to us, we'll ha- gladly read them out. We haven't got any. I don't think any new ones this week, not that I saw. So uh, that all helps with algorithms and stuff. Um, you can um, buy some merch from the Amish loot chest. Link in the show notes. If you want a current grape T-shirt or literally a communist hoodie or the new three weeks to flatten the earth t-shirts um as designed by lee from the big conspire um find the link in the show notes and you can uh, you get something you get a t-shirt whatever and we get a, a slice a slice of the profits um join the discord server that is the best place if you want to get in contact with us, if you want to send us uh, news articles, uh, videos, audio clips that you feel require amplification, um, preferably time-stamped, you know, if it's a long one-hour video and you caught something in there, ooh, that's interesting, uh, you can send us a time lamp, uh, time lamp, time stamp. And there's loads of weird and wacky stories popping up that people are posting in the discord it's uh it's fun it's a fun place to be it's like uh it's not like doom stro- scrolling through twitter or uh meme scrolling through insta although we do have memes and you can send us memes in the discord um show artwork show artwork uh you can send us that via the discord as well uh 3000 by 3000 pixels maximum minimum 1400 by 1400 pixels and we had a submission this week. It was from Lee from The Big Conspire. And via the magic of video production, those of you watching on Odyssey shall see the artwork now. Boom, there it is. <laughs> so what's Lee done here? We've got sort of like a, a papyrus background. And uh, if well, I should say, if you go to the Discord, there is a thread there where you'll get a sneak preview of who's coming on the podcast the following show. Following week, so Lee had obviously obviously seen Tarrant Fireside was joining us, and uh, I think I, I posted two oh six Tarrant Firestride, Alchemy and Hermetics, and Lee replied, "Alchemy and Hermetics, how's this?" And it's perfect. It's got like a papyrus background, and we've got Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man there with the sun at the end of one arm and the moon at the other. We've got the Caduceus. Caduceus of Hermes Tresmegistus. <laughs> and we've got some some sacred geometry stuff and uh, what are those characters, those zodiacal characters there and all sorts of uh, what relevant, relevant motifs. So perfect. All I had to do was put the uh, the show, the, uh, the uh, name, the title of the show there on over the top. And I think that's beautiful. So thanks for that, Lee. It really, I think it does make a difference when um, when podcasts have new artwork every week. It's something I'm going to try and try and do myself if we don't get um, submissions from from you a lot listening. I'm going to try. I've been practicing with the gimp. I've been probing the gimp, getting used to it. And uh, gimp is the name of the software that uh, us us graphic designers use when we're uh, designing podcast artwork. <laughs> So uh, I'm horrendously slow at the minute. It's like a it's a massive learning curve. It's like learning any any kind of software. You just uh, I'm completely out of my depth. Uh, but hopefully I'll get quicker and uh, I might be able to 
start doing some podcast artwork when we don't have submissions, such as Lee's beautiful piece there. Uh, what else? What else can you do on the Discord? Show artwork, means for Instagram. You can request a birthday shout-out. And in fact, we have some birthdays. Who have we got this week? Uh, Mike. Mike from the Lancashire Hot Pod. The Hot Podders. He's got a birthday on the 12th of November. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. And also the Odd Man, our previous guest. Uh, heavyweight champion of the podcast, Odd Man Out. Um, his birthday's on the 13th of November. Happy birthday, Odd Man. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. Yeah. Um, what else can you do on the Discord? Uh, guest suggestions. Okay, so this is how we found Terence um, for this show. There's a thread on the Discord. If you maybe hear someone on a podcast who you haven't heard before, you find it fascinating or interesting, um, shocking, <laughs> whatever, um, there's a thread there on the Discord and you can suggest guests for us and we try and we will try and implement them if you know because there's obviously a popular demand of at least one who, who wants someone on the podcast and uh i think there was a link posted um from one of tarrant's previous uh appearances and within five minutes of listening i thought wow this this guy's great it's really interesting so uh you know we only have three pairs of ears to be listening out and looking for for people, um, so if we can mobilise you lot out there, who are regular, obviously regular podcast listeners, it really helps, and uh, we'll find you know we'll find people via that means that otherwise will have slipped us by, maybe like Tarrant could have done. So it really helps. Um, guest suggestions, uh, jingle requests, we don't get any really. Uh, focus chi requests. Now we haven't had one of these for like three weeks now. So get your focus chi requests in. <coughs> Maybe um, you've got a big job interview coming. You've got to give a big presentation at work and you're nervous about it. Maybe you've got depleted chi in the form of a, a health problem and you want us as a community to um, focus our chi in your direction for your given aim to help you. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you're lovesick and there's a certain special someone out there who is... Who is uh, who is um, reflecting your advances and you require the Amish Inquisition Chi Factory to uh, poison said person's brain and fall madly in love with you. I can't guarantee that will happen, but we're like the genie, you see. We can't bring people back from the dead and we can't make people fall in love. But all of the things, I think, focus Chi, it can't hurt, can it? So if you uh, if you have a request, send it in via the Discord. If you're not on the Discord and you're scared of Discord and you don't want another app in your phone, you can find us through the other ways, through Twitter DMs or Instagram DMs. But uh, get your focus cheer requests in. Um, what else? What's the best way to become a producer? I think someone else normally says this. Toss us a fucking coin. Toss a coin to your witcher, old valley of plenty. No, because we're bloody northern. Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Do it for the lads. 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 You know, this is what we need. Go to the uh, armistinquisition.com, find the PayPal donate button there and you can uh, give us a one-off, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. Um, per donations over 50 bucks, 50 UK bucks, 50 pounds sterling, 
granting you the rank of executive producer for that episode. And these credits are real. You can put them on your curriculum vitae, on your LinkedIn profile. Executive producer of the Arms Inquisition, episode 206 with Tarrant Firestride. How sweet will that look? When you're going for your next job interview, they are real and we will black you, back you up. We won't, we won't black you up, we'll back you up. And we need the money. This shit isn't free. It all costs money. There are continuous running costs. So we really do appreciate when people find the, uh, well, not motivation, uh, find the means or to support us monetarily. It really helps to keep the lights on. And, you know, at the end of the day, only you. Save Plotland. Only you can save Plotland and keep this shit show going. <laughs> For good or ill, I'm not sure. Yeah, donate. Help us out. Come on. <laughs> right, I think it's time to uh, thank the producers producers for episode 206. Would you not agree, Ben? Oh, shit. Not yet. <laughs> I think it's time, isn't it? It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Who have we got? It's a short list. We've got Lee from The Big Conspire for that fab- fabulous artwork. Uh, we've got Slicko. Uh, Nomi Noznodge. Thank you. You're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. Literally. The best mate. It's a miracle. What did you do with Big Jungus? The dwarf. The carrots. The grape. The homophobe. The winds. The asthma. The corrupt cunt. The number 11. The blind man. The falling on the horizon. The cripple and the mother of... An old friend is here. From hell. Delightful! (laughs) Don't get it, never will. Yes! Mmm, thanks. Thanks for your support for another week and uh, keeping this going. Everything's in the show notes, the sort of whole philosophy. Completely stolen off no agenda. We're a value for value podcast, just like them. And uh, it really, really uh, warms the cockles of my heart when uh, people help and produce and crowd produce this podcast. And we couldn't do it without you, so thank you, generally, from the bottom of my heart. COVID-19. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. Oh! You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating mode like... It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal. Anal swab tests in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. Because I'm getting bored and want to have fun. I can't serve you if you're not wearing a face mask. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. It was quite a slow week to start with on the old COVID news, and then things seemed to have picked up. The main thing I've noticed is that it seems that the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, might have gone rogue. They don't seem to be following the program because uh, of this article, which, funny, it's like it's not been in The Guardian, the BBC or the Daily Mail or any of the legacy outlets. And this is why I feel like I feel obliged that I have to talk about this because otherwise no one will fucking hear about it because it just gets ignored. And it's this uh, BMJ article that was published this week. Here's the title. COVID-19. 
Researcher blows the whistle on data integrity issues in Pfizer's vaccine trial. And uh, I've just printed out the the sort of intro to it, really, because it's a it's a big article. I'll put the link in the show notes as ever for anyone who wants to read it and go through the details. But anyway, here goes. Revelations of poor practices at a contract research company helping to carry out Pfizer's pivotal COVID-19 vaccine trial raised questions about data integrity and regulatory oversight, Paul D. Thacker reports. Uh, in autumn 2020, Pfizer's chairman and chief executive, Albert Bourla, released an open letter to the billions of people around the world who were investing their hopes in a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine to end the pandemic. And I quote, As I said before, we are operating at the speed of science, Bourla wrote, explaining to the public when they could expect a Pfizer vaccine to be authorised in the United States. But for researchers who were testing Pfizer's vaccine at several sites in Texas during that autumn, speed may have come at the cost of data integrity and patient safety. A regional director who was employed at the research organisation Ventavia Research Group has told the BMJ that the company falsified data, cha-ching, unblinded patients, cha-ching, employed inadequately trained vaccinators, cha-ching, and was slow to follow up on adverse events. Well, we wouldn't need to know about adverse events, would we, in a clinical trial? Uh, reported in Pfizer's pivotal Phase 3 trial. Staff who, conduct, who conducted quality control checks were overwhelmed by the volume of problems they were finding. After repeatedly, uh, repeatedly notifying Ventavia of these problems, the regional director, Brooke Jackson, emailed a complaint to the US FDA. So she raised it with her employer and was stonewalled by the sounds of it. So she decided she made a phone call first and then she emailed the FDA. Ventavia fired her later the same day. <laughs> you don't do that. Bad move. Uh, Jackson has provided the BMJ with dozens of internal company documents, photos, audio recordings and emails. So I'll put a link in the show notes where it details more of the problems, but... It's kind of the stuff that I've been suspecting since the beginning, like mislabeling samples, um, not testing people who were symptomatic of COVID, not having enough enough staff to swab people who were symptomatic in the trial. Part of it, you know, it's kind of like a key endpoint that when you're developing a vaccine to see you actually get symptoms of the disease and maybe you might want to test them and find out if, it, if they did get it. Because otherwise, the vaccine might be a bit of a fucking turd, mightn't it? <laughs> but, you know, we, we, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go too far. <laughs> anyway, that was like the first thing and then from the BMJ. And then their associate editor, Peter, what's it called? Dr. Peter Doshi, who's uh, associate editor of the British Medical Journal, uh, Journal um he gave a, a well, I guess a presentation you might call it. It was a five minute speech slash presentation with slides um at a meeting that was organized by uh what's he called? Senator Ron Johnson. I forget where he's senator of. I wanna say Florida, but I'm probably wrong. Um so uh Peter Doshi, associate editor of the BMJ, discusses the total lack of scientific process behind the development and rollout of COVID vaccines 
in a meeting called by Senator Ron Johnson on the topic of vaccine mandates. So they're really going hard on the mandates over in the US. Uh, we're not quite there yet. We're a few months behind in the UK. But this is why the meeting was held, um, particularly this subject of mandating vaccines. And uh, this guy decided to give a presentation. Uh, here's his background. Peter Doshi, or Peter, Dr. Peter Doshi, is an Associate Professor of Pharmaceutical Health Services Research in the School of Pharmacy and Associate Editor at the BMJ. His research focuses on policies related to drug safety and effectiveness evaluation in the context of regulation, evidence-based medicine, and debates over access to data. So it's nearly a six-minute sort of presentation. I broke it down into five clips where I've sort of cut all the fat out and just try to get the key points so we don't take up too much time. But anyway, he's his, his sort of intro. I'm, I'm Peter Doshi. For identification purposes, I'm on the faculty at the University of Maryland and editor at the BMJ. I have no relevant conflicts of interest, and my comments today are my own. In pharmacy school, I teach a required course on how to critically appraise the medical literature. We train students on how to go beyond a study abstract and start to pick apart and critically assess biomedical studies, not just take them at face value. I want to use my five minutes here to harness that spirit of critical thinking. I'm saddened that we are supersaturated as a society right now in the attitude of everybody knows that has shut down intellectual curiosity and led to self-censorship. So, I mean, the first thing that struck me when I watched the video, and you can hear it if you're on audio, but if you go and watch the video, link in the show notes as ever, he's visibly and audibly nervous. I think this is a big move for him. He's obviously a very prominent guy, prominent researcher, and he's decided at this point to speak out against the orthodoxy which is, I think, pretty courageous. Um, I get the impression that a lot of these researchers, eggheads, scientists, don't really, I mean, some of them do, but a lot of them aren't really interested in being in the public eye. They don't really want to target painted on the back. There are obviously, you know, exceptions like Neil Ferguson, Susan Mickey, etc. But, yeah, he's, he's visibly nervous, and he's talking about these things... He's talking about this sort of uh, orthodoxy and monoculture we have about, and he uses the expression, everybody knows, and he's going to give some examples. So um, his first sort of uh, pass is about the pandemic of the unvaccinated, which has been language that's been used in the States, and it's also encroaching into Europe now. This term is being used in Austria and Germany, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> Austria and Germany, and it's going to spread across Western Europe because of what's going to happen in the winter. Anyway, uh, this is clip two. I forget what he says, but let's hear it. Everybody knows that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But if hospitalizations and deaths were almost exclusively occurring in the unvaccinated, why would booster shots be necessary? Or why would the statistics be so different in the UK? where most COVID hospitalizations and deaths are among the fully vaccinated, as Senator Johnson said. So it's a pretty obvious point, you know. uh, I think most people, when Pfizer made that press release and then uh, AstraZeneca, Jane, was it Jane, Jay? Here's the other big one. 
mRNA one. What are they called? Moderna. Um, they all came out one week after the other with this press releases saying how effective this vaccine. And I think there was a collective sigh of relief amongst the gen pop, um, the ordinary Joes who, who obviously don't listen to this, uh, that this is it. This is the silver bullet. And uh, get the vaccine. It Game over. 95% effective. Well, that's it. We're back to normal. We're going to get our lives back. And uh, it's not working like that, is it? Because it's going to be every six months, by the looks of it, in a minimum. So he's sort of highlighting this disconnect, um, which he will uh, evolve later on in the, in the following clip. Anyway, his next clip, his Everybody Knows clip, was about the trials, the phase three trials and what they showed. Next slide, please. Then there's this. Everybody knows that COVID vaccines save lives. In fact, we've known this from early 2021. The clinical trials proved that to be the case, as you can see here in the quote of a February article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. But is it true? When that statement by prominent public health officials was penned, there had been just one death, one death, across the 70,000 Pfizer and Moderna trial participants. Today we have more data, and you can see that there were similar numbers of deaths in the vaccine and placebo groups. The trials did not show a reduction in death. Even for COVID deaths, as opposed to other causes, the evidence is flimsy, with just two deaths in the placebo group versus one in the vaccine group. My point is not that I know the truth about what the vaccine can and cannot do. My point is that those who claimed the trials showed the vaccines were highly effective in saving lives were wrong. The trials did not demonstrate this. And he has a slide behind him which, which shows the, uh, the data that's been accrued. Because that first press, press release, the 95% effective, most people don't know, but that was based on the, the primary endpoint, which was the risk of COVID infection in the first week after your vaccine becomes effective. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's playing with statistics. Um, and the de- the uh, figures he shows behind him, which are more uh, longer-term data, I'm pretty sure, I'm going off memory, but in the uh, vaccine group, 16 people died, and in the placebo group, 15 people died. Oops. Uh, and... Uh, Two died in the unvaccinated, the placebo group, and one died in the vaccinated group. Once they had a bit more data, but that's not the story that we're being told. Obviously, is it? Vaccines are safe and effective. Anyway, what's he going to next? Oh, anti-vaxxers. Everybody knows about anti-vaxxers. Everybody knows you should discount what anti-vaxxers have to say. But what does the term mean? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as, quote, a person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccination. The first part of the definition, I expected. The second part stunned me. There are entire countries from the United Kingdom to Japan which do not mandate childhood vaccines. Both achieve high levels of vaccination, just not through regulations mandating vaccines. 
There are no mandates there, and I would wager that a large minority, perhaps a a majority, of the world's population meets the definition here of an anti-vaxxer. He's bang on. You know, Miriam Webster changed the definition in, what did he say, January 2021, was it? Of what an anti-vaxxer is. And I fall under that definition because I don't think vaccines should be mandated. I don't think people should be held down and injected against their will. Wow, what a fucking filthy libertarian I must be. But uh, And I, I, I think he's right when he says the majority of the world population would fall under that definition of an anti-vaxxer. Uh, it just shows how far we've come in the last 18 months. Anyway, then he, ha- he goes on to highlight another definition everybody knows, and it's about the definition of vaccine. Next slide, please. I am one of the academics that argues that these mRNA products, which everybody calls vaccines, are qualitatively different than standard vaccines. And so I found it fascinating to learn that Merriam-Webster changed its definition of vaccine early this year. mRNA products did not meet the definition of vaccine that has been in place for 15 years at Merriam-Webster, but the definition was expanded such that mRNA products are now vaccines. I highlight this to ask a question. How would you feel about mandating COVID vaccines if we didn't call them vaccines? What if these injections were called drugs instead? So here's the scenario. We have this drug, and we have evidence that it doesn't prevent infection, nor does it stop viral transmission. But the drug is understood to reduce your risk of becoming very sick and dying of COVID. Would you take a dose of this drug every six months or so for possibly the rest of your life? If that's what it took for the drug to stay effective? Would you not just take this drug yourself, but support regulations mandating that everybody else around you take this drug? Or would you say, hold on a sec. Maybe you'd say that if that's all the drug does, why not use a normal medicine instead? The kind we take when we're sick and want to get better. And why would you mandate it? The point is, just because we call it a vaccine doesn't mean we should assume these new products are just like all other childhood vaccines which get mandated. Each product is a different product, and if people are okay with mandating something simply because it's a vaccine and we mandate other vaccines, so why shouldn't we mandate this? I think it's time to inject some critical thinking into that conversation, and that is what I hope we're doing today. Thank you. Just goes to show the importance of language, and uh, there are regulatory differences between vaccines and other medical devices. Uh, I'm pretty sure on the patent, I don't know if it's the patent for the Pfizer jab or the Moderna. Um, it's it's called a gene therapy. It's it, but you know I get get in trouble for saying things like that. But does it meet the def- definition of a vaccine? Well, it does now because they changed the definition. Just in time. <laughs> so it's interesting, isn't it? But I don't know. With these two sort of things from the BMJ, I wonder if we're coming to a maybe a turning point. I think this could be pivotal. I'm optimistic that this could be pivotal. I'm thinking that these guys are coming out now because that the jab is being rolled out for five-year-olds and over now in the US. And... Uh, I don't know. Maybe um, when it's adults, 
who are, you know, should be able to make their own decisions and do their own research is one thing. But when you start putting this into five and six year olds, maybe some of these academics and researchers are uh, starting to get uncomfortable and seeing maybe, whoa, this is out of control. It is out of control. It's completely out of control. I don't know how people can't see this now after 18 months, after three weeks to flatten the curve or flatten the earth, that now we're talking about experimental mRNA vaccines for five-year-olds. And they're not going to stop there, by the way. It's going to be babies next. And there doesn't seem to be any appetite with the regulators to knock any of this back. It's just good. I'll just lower the dose. Maybe put something else in. Because this is a new formulation, by the way, the Pfizer jab that's just been... um, just been given the green light, the stamp of approval by the FDA. It's not, even though it's, it's, I know it's a lower dose, but it's also a different formulation. They've put something else in there called, I should have uh, written down what it's called. It it, it sounds a bit like thalidomide, but it's obviously not. (laughs) They've put something else in there as an agent. uh, That's uh, sometimes used to, to treat people with heart conditions. But it has other uses as well. I'm not making any assumptions. It's just that it's a new product. And uh, the trials in children were very small as far as the population of the trials were concerned. Um, so there we are. Now, an uh, interesting piece of boots on the ground report from me. Uh, I was working with someone this week um, who's just had his booster jab, his third jab in the UK. Uh, now, this chap um, has recovered from a particularly nasty form of cancer about, I want to say, before the pandemic or around the time of the start of the pandemic. And then he was given the old clear that it was in remission. It was gone maybe six or eight months ago. Um, so he falls under this category of being at high risk or immunocompromised, even though He's free of the cancer and is, you know, I guess he has to have, I think he has to have checkups maybe every six to 12 months. But anyway, when he went for his third dose, uh, the people at the hospital informed him that he would be back in January for his fourth dose, which I found particularly interesting because uh, fourth doses haven't been discussed yet in the media. They haven't been approved by the MHRA, Megatory, (laughs) the uh, medical health regulatory, whatever, what's it? Um, But the people on the ground in the healthcare system seem to know that this is a done deal, that people in these vulnerable groups are going to be getting a fourth dose. And what are we in, November? November, December, January, that's only two months two months away he's going to get a fourth dose and he was told that the fourth dose would be smaller than the first second and third dose and as far as i remember this was the az vaccine so i find that interesting because it seems like there are people in the know who know what's going to happen next year and then there's the rest of us who are in the dark like the fucking mushrooms keep them in the dark and feed them shit so, uh, yeah, if anyone out there has heard anything about fourth doses in the UK, let us know. I also had from the same guy another boots on ground, boots on the ground report. Uh, as far as supply chain, 
cost of materials, because I'm in the building trade and so is he, there is um, a materials price hike coming in January. So if you were thinking, oh, well, I'll hold off on that new kitchen or those new UPVC windows or that new bathroom, uh, I'll leave it till the new year, till all this, um, you know, supply chain nonsense has, has worked through the system and prices come back down to normal because everything's skyrocketed. Timber, all building materials, plaster, UPVC, cable based on copper prices, it's all gone up. Copper's, uh, cable's gone up about 80, 90%. Other materials have gone up massively, more than that. Um, so if you were holding on thinking, oh, I'll wait till the new year till it blows over, bad news for you. There's another price rise coming in January. So uh, sorry to shit on your cornflakes. <laughs> oh. Disqualified. Anyway, let's move on to uh, Tim Spector. He's uh, Professor Tim Spector. He was the founder of the Zoe app, the Zoe COVID symptom tracker app, where people sign up and they, um, I think they take regular tests and uh, they're part of this massive data crunching survey and they uh, record the symptoms and all the rest of it. And um, he's often trying to explain like why cases aren't going through the roof because he keeps making these apocalyptic predictions like he did in when restrictions were were uh, released in the summer, and you know he said, "Well, cases are just going to go through the wish. It's going to be hundred thousand a day, as uh, Neil Ferguson did, and the rest of them. And, and what happened? Cases started falling. It's almost as if the virus is just going to do what the virus does, regardless of what we do with our non-pharmaceutical interventions. Anyway, he's often having to explain away sort of these things and rationalise them for his own head because obviously. His cognitive dissonance won't allow him to entertain the prospect that lockdowns don't work. <laughs> that That's just not a possibility. Of course lockdowns work. Anyway, he used some interesting language towards the end of this clip that I thought bared repeating. Now, we did think we'd reach 100,000 uh, new cases a day, uh, but uh, luckily uh, the peak happened just before that. It's fallen and it is falling slowly, not rapidly, and we're going to look at some of the reasons why it's been uh, falling. But I think uh, this is something we expect when cases do go up to a certain level, it triggers uh, popular alarm. People see one in 50 people around them getting COVID, they change their habits and behaviours, and that's what we saw before the last... Got news flash, Tim. That's not what's happening. People aren't changing the behaviours because they see something on the BBC anymore. People are fed up with it. They're just getting on with their lives. People aren't changing their behaviours because you say cases have gone up. People have completely tuned out and people are getting back to normal. That's what I'm seeing on the ground and I'm in different people's houses every day. Uh, you're in uh, some sort of alternative reality, Dimension B, where <laughs> sort of life revolves around COVID. Uh, sorry, sorry. Last few lockdowns. So it looks as if many of you are probably acting uh, <laughs> as really good COVID citizens. What? What was that? And doing your best to mitigate uh, these infections where you can, and I think that's what we need to... I mean, that wasn't good COVID citizens. Surely that was a slip of the tongue. He's not going to put it in twice, is he? Be doing in this vacuum of, of government advice. Uh, being a good, responsible COVID citizen is something we should all uh, aspire to. Being a good, responsible COVID citizen is something we should all 
uh, aspire to. Citizen, are you being a good COVID citizen today, citizen? Are you being a good COVID citizen? <laughs> I mean, it's just so wild. A good COVID citizen. Is that what he, is that what we're being reduced to? Are we COVID citizens now rather than just, I don't know, citizens? I thought that was interesting. I'm going to listen out for that term and uh, see if I hear it anywhere else. Or if you do, let me know. Good COVID citizen. Language is the key to a lot of this stuff that's going on. So uh, when you hear new terms like that, like pandemic of the unvaccinated, for example, uh, you need to uh, make a mental note. And let us know as well if you hear weird use of language. The fact that it's used twice means that it's something he has thought about. Or it's something he uses. Or it's something he wants to popularise or put in put out there. Are you being a good COVID citizen? Sorry, Tim. I'm probably not by your standards, but, you know, that's tough shit, isn't it? Uh, let's move on. Uh, Savage Javid, the health secretary for the UK, um, leaked a... <laughs> Sorry, no, he didn't leak. There was a leak in the government because this is how our government does things. There was a leak that um, Savage Javid, the health secretary, was going to implement a COVID vaccine mandate for all NHS workers, Um, but not until spring. Not until spring, because obviously we've got to get through the winter first. That's how it's been spun, but to me it's just complete, um, complete coercion. It's been put into the spring... It's this threat, it's the sword of Damocles. Go and get it now. Go and get it now, because in the spring, it's like the same with the vaccine passports that didn't materialise. It's complete coercion. And uh, if it was me, well, I can't tell anyone how to behave or what to do, but if it was me, I'd be tempted to call his bluff on that. Because uh, I think there are enough workers in the NHS would say, fuck you, not having it. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, There's currently 150,000 NHS staff who are unvaccinated, and that is called for. They don't want it because they've had fucking nearly a year to get it. So if there's 150,000 who are unvaccinated, I would suggest that they aren't going to be vaccinated. And uh, I like the way um, they used uh, France as an example. France implemented... um, a vaccine mandate, and the proportion of vaccinated workers skyrocketed. Rather than 60% being vaccinated, when they introduced the mandate, 99% were vaccinated. Yeah, because they all fucking left. They left and got jobs at Amazon, you fucking idiots. Why do you think they use percentages? They don't give you the actual numbers, do they? Because that might bring truth to the lie. Anyway, there's a new uh, therapeutic on the scene for uh, Molnupiravir from Merck. Merck uh, I thought they were going to call it Merck-Mectin, but no, they're calling it Molnupiravir. And uh, I've got a report here from our friends in Germany, from Deutsche Welle, DW, yeah? Could it be the breakthrough treatment? I'm Ben Fazul and welcome. Molnupiravir was developed to treat the flu, but caused a sensation when it was shown to be effective against COVID-19. Nothing to see here. Oh, it was developed for the flu. Hmm. But it works against COVID-19. 
Mm. Yeah, that's probably nothing. Now the World Health Organization says it's looking to issue guidance for its use. The US company behind the drug Merck, known worldwide as MSD, has applied for approval in its home country and says it can make 10 million courses by the end of the year. Cha-ching! Right, new drug, new therapeutic, taken orally. My favourite way to take therapeutics. Um, how's it work? So when the virus is replicated inside our cells, because our cells uh, act like uh, mini factories for making new virus, um, the, the, this chemical introduces changes to the genetic code, and that stops it being replicated, basically. Um, and if you can't produce more genetic code, more genetic material, you can't have more virus. So um, that's how it works. Um, and like I say, I expect it will work with other things. We kind of sounds like gene therapy again to me seems that molnupirvir doesn't act on the virus itself it goes into your cell and reprograms things and screws things around changes the genetic code of the virus what could possibly go wrong have these fuckers never watched Jurassic Park life finds a way I just don't I don't know anyway uh, the new treatment targets an enzyme that the virus uses to make copies of itself, introducing errors into its genetic code. That that should that should prevent it from multiplying, so keeping virus levels low in the body and reducing the severity of the disease. Well, fucking hell, I hope it works. Uh, the UK MRHA is the first country to give it the all clear. So I believe we're going to start using it pretty rapid over here in the UK. Uh, yeah. So I would just keep an eye on the next new deadly variant and see where it emerges. If it emerges, I don't know, in London, um, we might have a smoking gun here. <laughs> Genetically modified super mutant. Molnupiravirus. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on from the shitty COVID news. Let's go on. I've got a quick one from COP26. Uh, Greta, the barbarian. I think she's. Uh, I think she's lost the plot here. Is it time? It's time to queer up the news. Yeah, she's lost it. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. You can shove your climate crisis. You can shove your climate crisis. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. I don't know what's going on there. Has no one told her that that's the song that the UK protesters sing when they're protesting against the climate change lobby? Uh, yeah, there's uh, been a breakdown there. She's definitely lost her speechwriter. Here's her, her speech that she gave in the car park because they won't let her in now. She's served her purpose. She's out. Greta is out. She's on the scrap heap. And here's a speech. <laughs> Inside COP, there are just politicians and people in power pretending to take our future seriously, to, pretending to take the present seriously of the people who are being affected already today by the climate crisis. Change is not going to come from inside there. That is not leadership. This is leadership. Yeah! This is leadership. Say no more blah blah blah. No more exploitation of people and nature and the planet. No more exploitation. No more blah blah blah. No more whatever the fuck they're doing inside there. She 
just sick and tired of it and we're gonna make the change whether they like it or not yeah, yeah. they yeah. keep on going for too long yeah. we're not gonna let them get away anymore yeah. we are not you know where's the catchphrase where's the how dare you the people are suffering she used the blah 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 again she's already done that once she need a new a new soundbite but she just uh, she was lacking in the car park there kind of feel sorry for her i wonder if she, it's dawning on her now that she's done she, she's not going to be involved in this process anymore and uh she just sort of needs to scoot out into obscurity because um the people in charge don't want to hear from her anymore anyway let's move on to the big story from this week from the uk the story of david fuller this was the moment the police finally caught up with one of Britain's most prolific and debauched sexual offenders. We're from Kent Police. David Fuller was arrested after advances in DNA evidence tied him conclusively to the murders of two women 34 years ago. You're under arrest on suspicion of the murders of Wendy Nell and Caroline Pearce in 1987. Wendy Nell and Caroline Pierce were both abducted and murdered by Fuller, their deaths dubbed at the time the Bedsit Murders. Tonight, Wendy's family finally know the man who killed their daughter has been brought to justice. It hasn't sunk in yet. It's going to take a long while. Although the guilty plea won't change anything deep down, as the pain and loss will always be there, it's good knowing he will not be in a position to hurt or cause any more pain on the back so a double murder has been solved what 1987 so 97 2007 until 35 years ago with uh, i believe it was his brother who maybe signed up for some dna testing thing what's it called e not e harmony that's a dating site i forget what it's called now but anyway that's how they fingered this guy through uh, uh, his brother's dna sample and you think oh right a double murder has been solved uh, a cold case with new DNA, DNA evidence. That's fantastic. Okay, is that it? Is that the end of the story? If it's oh. just the drawers, it looks like he's got some hard drives in there, I would say. Hard drives? What? Police also discovered a hidden cache of hard drives at Fuller's house. On it were videos of him abusing bodies in the now-closed Kent and Sussex Hospital mortuary where he worked as an electrician. What the fuck? What? Abusing bodies? Little did we know what we were going to find when we went to arrest David Fuller at his home address. You know, a treasure trove, from his perspective, of just the most abhorrent and horrendous um, uh, offending uh, against um, uh, deceased bodies. When challenged, he admitted the heinous crimes. I am admitting the offences, but I don't really want to go into detail. It's not known precisely how many bodies Fuller abused. What, like five, ten, ten bodies? How many bodies can you abuse as an electrician? But police believe it may be in excess of 100. Oh, shit. 100. Ranging in age from nine to 100 years old. And this is probably the craziest story I've heard in my life. This guy was an electrician, at like he must have been some sort of maintenance electrician, and he worked for two hospital trusts, one of which has closed uh, since. But this was going on like la- up to last year. 
And the only reason that they found out was because of this DNA evidence pointing him to this double murder in the late 80s. So he's got away with murder twice in the late 80s. Got a job in a hospital and then just starting fingering dead grannies. What? I mean, it really makes you think, how fucking broken? How broken can someone be? And it's he recorded everything. They said in one of the reports, they said there was over 200 storage boxes in his garage. Four million indecent images. I mean, it, it just fucking boggles the mind. I'd, uh, there's got to be, there's going to have to be a documentary, I guess, isn't there? Netflix are going to have to buy the rights or something to this. But And then, crazy, like the mother of one of the recent victims, uh, a young girl, uh, decided to, when she was informed of what had happened, that this David Fuller had abused her, bo- bo- her daughter's body, young daughter, um, I think she was maybe in her late teens or 20. I think she died in an accident or, you know, something, a tragic death of a youngster. And the police informed the mother that this m- fucking ghoul, this monster had abused her daughter's body. She just fucking went in the kitchen, grabbed the knife and started marching to the police station. I'm going to kill that fucker. I'm going to put this knife right through his heart. <laughs> like the police officers who were on site rang it in to the police station saying, this mother's gone mental. And she got arrested. She, well, I, I guess I guess you have to arrest her. You have to stop her before she hurts someone or hurts herself in the process. But I just, I don't know what you do with it a person, a human like that, I mean, it's just absolutely mind-boggling how broken someone could be. And it makes you want to think, I'm interested now in how this, what's his backstory? How did, how does someone become this fucking broken in the head to abuse over a hundred dead bodies from the ages of nine me honestly uh nine-year-old dead child this isn't huge i don't yeah i mean we're getting into sort of spiritual um moralistic territory here but um and i'm sort of against the death penalty on principle because sort of in my heart i don't think the state should have the right to take someone else's life it's like a fundamental principle. Um, but this this might make me change my mind because as far as I'm concerned, this guy is, is too broken to be a human. But I don't know. It's uh, It just boggles the mind how, how someone can get to this stage. And we need to get off this. Let's finish on something... Uh, Disqualified! Let's finish on something more uplifting. Gino the Campo is back on this morning. My favourite Italian chef. This morning is the sort of flagship ITV morning magazine programme hosted by Holly and Phil. Holly Willoughby and Phil Schofield. 
And uh, the resident chef, Gino De Campo, he's always got he's got a reputation for being a bit of a lad. Um, he's back, and uh, he's often he's often criticised for putting his foot in it with his with his English. My English knows all good, you know. Um, anyway, they were discussing the invention of tiramisu, the famous Italian dessert, and um, Gino gives us a little geography lesson using Holly Willoughby's body as a map. And, uh, yeah. Your, your finger on your belly button. Now, if that is Rome, OK, in the Piemonte region here is where the Savoyardi biscuit come from. Right. On the other side is Treviso. Treviso is where Ado uh, uh, come from. So it's, it could be very... Uh, uh, I think it could be the truth, the fact that they go to I'm Savoyardi. I'm really concerned if he's going to talk about Sicily here. <laughs> no, Sicily's all the way down there. <laughs> Phil, Phil knows where this is going. He telegraphs it. It's, that's that's, a, that's a, a good operator, TV operator's mind there. Gino. Don't, don't tell us about Sicily. She goes, oh, Sicily right down there. It's at the ankles. No, we don't have to worry about Sicily. But <laughs> if your belly button yes. is Rome, yes. I was born in Naples, which is on, is on your uh, side. Yeah. Your hip. The gestures to Holly's hip. But I went to school in on where the Vesuvius is. So it's more inland. So uh, uh, I knew it. So I can technically say that I spend my youth training and playing around your vagina. You don't give a fuck. I spend my youth training and playing around your vagina. Oh my god! Oh my god! Is nothing wrong with that? Is nothing wrong no. with that? It's just a word that everybody knows, and that's what I've been doing geographically. <laughs> geographically, yes, I'm a geography teacher. And maybe stick with the. I should be a geography side teacher. No, you really, really should not. I'm not, I'm not People sure. will remember things if I if I do my geography <laughs> thing. Now, nobody remembers anything. Amen. I like it the theatre now. Oh, God love him. I can't have children with a whore. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. It's been a bit weird tonight. It's um, It's been interesting, interesting experience. Going solo. But I felt I had to get it out because it'll screw my week up if we, if we sort of re reschedule stuff. So, you know, I just don't give a fuck. You don't give a fuck. <laughs> anyway, you're not entertained. Don't forget to uh, check out the Discord server and you'll find out who's coming on next week. I think we might have some more alchemy next week. Possibly. But, you know. Well, he's dead, so, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. So uh, I hope you like what we got. I like what you got. <laughs> Good job. But it's getting late. It's getting late and... I'm too weak. Oh, don't kill me. I look like a war-hardened goblin. Right, Wakanda forever. Epstein didn't kill himself. Praise Jabalon and all the Elohim. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, look after yourselves and each other. Don't have nightmares, etc. You know what? You are a real wanker. Cut off your genitals, gouge out your eyes, die. Go back, butter. Boot your teacher out of it. Wayne Kerr. Cut a great... 
I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international under pressure. Kneel before Zod. LGDP, LGT, LBG. All these people have seen my baby penis. Save Plopland.